0: Hey, welcome back to the UX Coach Podcast. I am your host, Andy Parker. You can find out more about me and UX coaching at UXcoach.com. In this episode, Erica Jurgensen shares how she went from being a journalist with a love of music to the first content designer at a little-known startup called Amazon, and has blazed the trail for content strategy working with big tech, including Microsoft and Slack. We talk about the role of content in design and the differences between content design, strategy, marketing, and UX design. What the role of a content designer is, how design research differs from UX research, and how you can get into content design and research today. Let's kick off with a little potted history.
1: Where exactly am I today? This question. Um, I started off. Hell bent on becoming a journalist. That was my dream. I did work at the Boston Globe newspaper um, when I was in college, in the Hartford Current in Connecticut, and then moved to Seattle and worked for the Seattle Times. But as everyone knows now, journalism is not always a, a way to make a living. And unfortunately, with all the layoffs and all that, um, I guess it's fortunate that I sort of tripped my way into a startup called Amazon that needed someone to write a lot of book reviews for them. They needed someone to interview authors and write a whole lot of book reviews because the website was basically a blank slate. Got into e-commerce, dabbled a little bit in analytics. We didn't have much in the way of, you know, we didn't have Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics, nothing of the sort then, but got to do some interesting experimentation with the website to see what was resonating with customers the most. Had to convince publishers to allow us to reprint book chapters online they didn't have that capability back then this is for those of you who are much younger than me this is approximately 1997 so this is a long time ago had a kid took a little time off and then I've worked at e-commerce sites including Expedia Nordstrom.com um went back to Amazon for a little bit and Rover uh yeah worked for a lot of different websites on their editorial or content teams I also spent time at Primera Blue Cross which is an insurance company. Because like um, health, the health field, like helping people be better, be well, help change that whole website. And then I spent five years at, this sounds dropping a lot of names. I've worked a lot of places. I <laughs> um, worked at Microsoft for five years, um, first in content marketing and then in content design. So yeah, I've been, I've seen a lot of different places and worked in content at a lot of different companies. So
0: I'm interested to know the sort of main differences in your writing style or the way that you mm-hmm. think about writing from when you're doing, say, like an op-ed for the Globe, versus something for like the uh, a Blue Cross website, that kind of thing.
1: There's quite a lot of similarities, actually. If you want to lead with the most important information, and add detail as you go along, I think. There's just so much parallel between journalism and content design. It's uncanny. I know a lot of former journalists who are in content design. Of course, content design, we write much tighter, no extraneous words whatsoever. In that way, it's challenging. I think I did also have a challenging time writing my book because my editor kept saying, you write so tight, you write so short. Add some embellishment, Add, you know, write a little longer. And I told her, I'm conditioned to not write long. I'm conditioned to write short.
0: And do you think that that's that's sort of like the similarities between like fixed amount of column inches and that really is not bit. that much different?
1: Yeah, I think with the move to digital. I mean, i've I've worked in print and digital in journalism, and having the freeing power of being online versus having column inches in the print world that was that's like a whole new whole new way of working. But I think still choosing powerful verbs, unique in the true sense of the word, adjectives, you know. You want to make your writing have oomph, have impact, be compelling and intriguing. So there's a lot of similarities there too. Like you don't want to use a boring verb. You want to use powerful verb. And I think that's one of the the tricks I've definitely taken from journalism to content design is make every
0: verb powerful. Big things Mm. we're sort of here to talk about today is the concept of content design for anyone that mm-hmm. has not really come across that term or has seen it a lot and still doesn't really get what a content designer is and what totally. the difference between a content designer and a copywriter for example or mm. a UX designer is there's this sort of extension to this which is is what the book is about which is content research
1: content and research, again yes.
0: what's the difference between co- doing content research and how is that different to user research or mm-hmm. UX design research? Such good questions, yeah. Break all of that down for us. Talk, talk to us and explain like what this space is.
1: I think it's a little, I don't want to say controversial, might not be the right word, but content design is a fairly new term. It's only been around for a few years. To me, it's choosing the information that your audience needs to know and making sure it's in the right format. So that's where the design part comes in. Like, what is the right way to deliver that message to your audience? And I'm thinking about like a mobile app, you know, do you need a, a drop-down menu? Do you need a pop-up? Do you need a tooltip? Those kind of things. Traditionally, they, these were chosen by designers, UX designers or product designers. UX is best when, or most effective when researchers, content designers, and product designers all work together. figure out what is it that someone in your audience needs to know and that's a very boiled down definition I think and it's different than content strategy to me content strategy is doing some of the legwork doing some of the discovery work who is our audience what do they know what is their context what context do they need does your app or website have too much information for them just enough or within like a specific experience what do they need to know when and I'm thinking an example to bring this home I used to work for Microsoft's office apps When you're buying Office, that's a lot that's going on in your brain as you're trying to buy Office. If you're a small business owner, if you're an enterprise company, you've got a different mental model of what you need. You probably have different levels of knowledge about what you're buying. The content that I included in those experiences was very different for an entrepreneur or a small business owner compared to the enterprise customer who's buying like 100,000 licenses. Yeah. So, what information does a customer need to know? How to describe it to them? You know, call to action buttons and links and things like that you just want to give them just enough information at the right time. I think UX writing if I were to differentiate UX writing from content design is kind of like 5 or 10 years ago where designers would take a stab at what wireframes they they thought were appropriate for whatever you were whatever you're designing and then they would put in lorem ipsum placeholder content or text for the UX writer or copywriter to fill in. And that's not a way to set anyone up for success, that's when things go wrong when you design that way. Yeah, the, the most successful companies I've seen or organizations that make a lot of money, they save a lot of money by reducing calls to their customer service team. They know that content design is valuable and worth the investment. Sweeping generalization, content designers are vastly outnumbered. Most places I've seen, like sometimes I've seen like 17 to one ratios of product designers or product managers to content designers, which is, I'll just get on my high horse and say that that's not a recipe for success for anyone. I mean, it just, and I think it's user research is similar to that that seems to be chronically understaffed, which is silly because when you have a UX researcher and you know what your customers need to know, of course, whatever you create is going to be more successful.
0: Content strategy is the what we want to do content design is more the how we're going to do that
1: you know I think you, you could think of it that way I think there's there's uh, there's a lot more to content strategy too whether it's well, the discovery like the, the research and understanding the audience but it's also strategizing and therefore the name content strategy of how to deliver the message to the audience in the best way I guess I'd need to use the term ecosystem what is the content ecosystem you don't like you're not just making a website or an app in many cases you're also Coordinating with other people across your company, or creating other types of content for your audience, whether it's email or promotions, advertisements, things like that. If you buy a product, what information does that cust- what does the customer need after they buy? But yeah, people need people need help learning to use your product. They need help. They've got questions. You know, the customer service team, the content that they they use to help customers, that can be part of the content strategy too. So it's a orchestrating many balls in the air. That's how I content strategy
0: having that awareness of like what the what the relationships are to an individual at different points in time
1: yeah and like creating like the content i think of the word journey drives me nuts but it's just it feels so overused but the content customer journey of how do they get from a to b what what are the pieces of content or the we call them content assets at microsoft because they're so valuable what are the content assets that your audience is reading or consuming or not consuming that's another piece of information what are they looking at as you help bring them from point a of like being aware of your product to point b which is hopefully buying it using it being a loyal customer for however long content designers also need to think about the big picture it's not just you're not just writing like a call to action button for a single screen on an app it's well that that needs to be consistent across if you're using a special verb or you know a unique term you need to be consistent throughout the content that you're creating. How you deliver that content to your customer is a whole other can of worms, whether it's through a content management system or if you work with your engineering team to get it live, that's a whole other can of worms. It's a can of worms and um, that would be content operations. Uh, that's, that's how I think of content operations is how, how do you get the content to your audience? The tech stack all those things how do you analyze how do you analyze the performance how are you tagging up your content so that you can analyze it what tools are you using to understand how engaged or not your audience is
0: whenever i've worked with a content designer first and foremost always very keen to emphasize that they're not a copywriter. Damn straight. Yes. There's a number of misconceptions and copywriter is one of them. Mm, and mm-hmm. I think that sometimes that's because of the definition of content. Uh, so we've we've already talked where you could imply from it that the fixation is on copy, that it's on text mm-hmm. uh, and words matter. So it's about what words what are the right kinds of words to use there whether you're using you know accent based language or being from the UK and working a lot in in the public sector we have government digital service design principles which state that you should write to match the competency of a particular learning group so that it applies to everyone that kind of thing Mm -hmm. so let's expand that out if we're thinking about what someone needs and the way in which that it needs to be delivered and then we are producing that how is that different to a copywriter
1: this might be just me but i find the word copy to be minimizing that content is more broad and all-encompassing the word text makes me bristle and the word the term string when people describe content in strings that's an engineering term that's like a line of code i i just that's i rant about this in my book i really don't like it when people refer to content in terms of strings so i think copy yeah. to get to back to your strings? question yeah it's like um <laughs> and i will gently correct people if they do that it's its very base, isn't it i will let them know it's offensive it's kind of offensive it's um it's not kind of it is it, it's derogatory it is it is not just kind of it is it is is offensive but i think it's um content designers need to stand up for ourselves and make this known otherwise people will. Not know that it bothers us, so that's that's another topic for another day, but copywriting i I think of like advertising copywriting you're writing something very very pointed, very focused copywriting is not easy yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I think copywriting is more basic whereas content has all those other elements plugged in like the analytics the the audience knowledge the the usability research you can do the content research to inform your word choice that kind of thing that's it's very comprehensive in a way. I'm trying to. I'm, and there's there are many layers of it. I think a framework that I, I go back to time and time again is from Beth Dunn, D.U.N.N., who used to be with HubSpot. She's known for her book, um, Cultivating Content Design. She has a framework that I adore that talks about full stack content design. And there's like the surface layer, which is like voice and tone. Not that surface is uh, superficial, but the the three layers. At the top is like voice and tone and, and word choice and things like that. Very important, but not the, the meat of it is um, structure. Like, how do you, how are you creating the content? Other parts of it, like accessibility, like important, more important elements. And then at the bottom is um, the strategy of what on earth are you doing? Like, how are you getting this content to your customer? All the other pieces that go with it, that, that orchestration, the, the kind of the engineering, the operational Elements of it that's really like that's a lot. So I think of her her full stack content design model as a great way of thinking of content, and that's way more complicated than
0: copy, just the words. It's very much about understanding the material, uh, and I, I use that term in the same way as we uh, like in perhaps an industrial term. Uh, for some reason, with this season of interviews, I've gone back again to founding UX thinking of, of architects. That's the scene that I'm seeing from what you're describing is that the content design itself is moving into that similar yeah. era of UX design. Of well, This is about that generalist uh, to an extent like the T-shaped person that's got a good um, foundations in some core skill sets and then maybe goes really deep into it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Like the the skills involved in content design, there's just, there's so many. And I think, thinking back to the copywriter content design comparison, copywriter, you get a creator brief and then you go off on your own and you can do the writing and bring it back to your team and get some feedback. Content design, I'm continually partnering with engineers, with product managers um, to wrangle the constraints. Like what are the constraints of the engineering team's the staffing, like how many engineers are going to help me bring this experience to life? Understanding that that part of it is very complicated, but very important. Like I can't just determine that, oh, we're going to make an interactive experience that, you know, very flashy or you have to think about the load time. You have to think about who's going to be using this. We have to think about accessibility, like how, how are we going to make sure that screen readers, people who are using screen readers can can consume the content? There's so many elements to that it's a lot. And it takes, uh, it takes a village of people, PM design content, um, engineering to make that happen.
0: I think it's very much the, the, the way that, uh, these, these roles and responsibilities have evolved as well. I think, mm-hmm. I think you still quite easily will go and see a job ad for UX slash UI designer. Uh, I mean, I actually saw one today, so I, that's definitely still out there. And that, that demonstrates to me that if I see that, I will take the maturity level of that organization being in a very specific place. Absolutely. Which is yeah. Right now, we are either of the size or of the understanding that what we need is someone who's going to draw the thing. We've heard that you need user experience thinking behind that and not really sure what that yeah. means. Some of the things that you're describing, if I sort of look back on on my career, a lot of it to me sounds like the kind of activities that I would have engaged with um, as an information architect, which is yes. a role that just does not exist anymore. Like, it just well, has it gone. Should. Like where, it should, that gone? shouldn't
1: it? Well, I think of um, Lou Rosenfeld, who, my publisher, um, you know, information architecture is so important and there's so much garbage information architecture out there. I think it's uh, taken for granted. It teams, companies that succeed have information architects on their staff. It's this, I don't know. I, it's just so absurd how some of the most key roles in product experience, they're, they're taken for granted and understaffed. It's backwards and wacky. I hope in 10 years, things will be different. Yet yeah, a, a true talented information architect, they are often, you know, they might have a library science degree to think in the way that they do, it's they're brilliant. They're brilliant. And some of my favorite coworkers throughout my career have been information architects because they're just brilliant. When Amazon was young, you know, we sold only books and then we were adding product line after product line within those so many different flavors of products and categories and things like that just makes makes my head explode and how they interact and the tagging required to make all of it work is mind-bending what a weird world what a weird world we live in where yeah like these key roles that are so important to the end experience that can help companies succeed like i just see like there's so many engineers so many product managers valuable valuable roles but the ratios of people in those roles compared to content design and ux research is just hard to hard to comprehend sometimes.
0: Let's move on to your book then.
1: Yeah, the the book was, um, it stemmed from a desire to bring more respect to the content design practice to the field. And so it's therefore a little rabble rousy. I get on a high horse in parts of it where, you know, one part in particular talk about AB experimentation, which is so popular. So many companies, especially startups, because they're trying to get investment.
0: Oh, the startup with 20,000 views that they can actually use for it. Well, yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I think people love A-B experimentation because it gets you data. And that data is usually statistically significant. But people like to go around talking about statsig like it's the best thing in the world when it is time consuming, when it takes up resources, when it requires coordination across so many teams, uh, depending on how you able to launch your ab experiments or abcde multivariate experiments that experiment and you're introducing risk by showing your customers content that is not proven i'd say content research can obviate the need for ab experimentation or replace it entirely you don't always get the statistical significance but if you launch content that you are you have vetted with your current customers or a proxy audience to your customers or audience and no confidently, hey, most people like this or a lot of people don't like that. That's powerful information that you can run with. A lot of C-suite executives like to talk about velocity. Well, content research enables velocity. That's one of the many reasons why I think it's smart to do and powerful and brings more attention to the content team because most of the time, you know, if we're we're landing the words that are resonating with the audience and then we make those, we make them go live, we publish them on our app or website or whatever kind of content you have. And then you see in your analytics that the engagement improves. That's it's just magical. A lot of design decisions can be tested, but to me, like the most powerful transformative customer experiences I've seen are based on the words. It's not the design. It's not the color of an icon or the color of a content or a color of a CTA call the action button. It's the words. The words that are clear, just enough information to help build confidence. That drives engagement and that leads to revenue that leads to business success that leads to fewer calls to your customer service team and those are that's like dollar bill signs
0: right there what i really like about the approach that you've taken with it uh like a lot of the books that are coming out through rosenfeld at the moment is that it's not just a big like thesis on a topic there's there's some there's some really great points like counterpoints like the one on a b testing i greatly enjoyed that i i I hate anyone that wants me to do A/B testing. I will probably not be friends with for very long. Oh, really?
1: I mean, it has its time and its place. It's not, does it? But well, it's. I, it's just, the... I just
0: think about what is it that you you're not going to learn anything from it? That's because it's a binary answer.
1: Oh, that it's only quantitative. That's a great yeah. point. That's that's another whole benefit of content research is if you're doing the qualitative questioning of. Okay, so if you have a multiple choice question or a scale question, like. How appealing is this to you? And you know, like roughly what percent of the audience is like into it or not, or you get the quantitative answer of like, this word is appealing or this word is not appealing, but it's the why and why is not, um, that takes a little time, you know, digging into qualitative verbatims or quotations from customers who participate in that kind of research takes time. But that's where the golden nuggets, I think, are hidden. That you need to dig into the why. And a quick example I shared from the book was at Premier Blue Cross, the insurance company I worked for. We were we were selling health insurance plans through for the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act went into went into law, and people were forced in the United States to buy health insurance when they couldn't afford it or didn't want it or whatever. We had very reluctant customers. I've never seen such you know emotion around a business I was involved in. like people were very afraid to buy insurance and because it's confusing but we thought well the basics are here we have gold silver and bronze healthcare plans and bronze are less expensive still expensive but bronze is the least expensive gold is the most expensive but you get the most benefits bronze you get the least in and you get the middle you have silver we weren't selling any silver plans the i thought the website was broken so i popped open the cms i, I um, signed into the content management system and checked the HTML. And I was like, well, the call to action button is working. We don't, a, we don't have a broken code, but what on earth? No one is clicking the button on the homepage. Gold, silver, bronze, silver was not getting clicks. And did a little research really quickly because we wanted to sell those plans. We had a quota, internal quota in the company of how many we wanted to sell. So the CEO was basically, you know, hovering around the digital experience team saying, why the hell aren't we selling the silver plans? This is a problem. We found out through content research that people thought that silver meant senior citizen, elderly, Medicare. They thought it was a me- Medicare plan, which in the United States, you cannot buy them until you're 65 or older. Right, but there was right. affordable care. Like the whole, the design was very simple. They're advertising all over the United States. There like was a very short period of time that these plans were for sale. Only annually, I think they're for sale for like six to 10 weeks or something like that. So we had a very tight time frame that we were working within. And silver was not working until we added a line of content to the homepage saying silver plans are Affordable Care Act plans. If you want a Medicare plan, click here. So that was shocking that no one knew what silver meant. or Not no one, but a huge chunk of our audience we found through content research, they were like, silver is not for me. That's not a plan I would buy. I'm not 65.
0: See, I would have genuinely taken that as being that people have wised up to the like paradox of choice and that, that they know that, that you're trying to drive them to whatever the middle of a bracket is. Maybe,
1: but those are standard across like every insurance company in the United States was selling gold, silver and bronze plans with different names and stuff. But that's a paradigm. That's a mental model that anyone who's seen the Olympics would understand. But flabbergasting. And then the designer gave me a hard time. He's like, I don't, I don't want to mess up. You're messing up my clean design with some content. And I said, I sure am. Because the customers don't know what's up. The CTA button can't explain it. I need to add not a tooltip, not something that is um, viewed only upon click or tap, but we had to add a persistent line of content, front and center, in the middle of the damn homepage, saying silver plans are affordable care act plans.
0: I remember seeing uh, a presentation from you uh, not that long ago talking about a similar challenge with may have been Microsoft, but let's say any enterprise software, where the way that you sell it is license keys still, even though that's not really a thing. Uh, seat licensing. Oh, license um, or seat. Yeah, just, that might have been. Just people going, what What does that mean? What does that mean? Well,
1: that was... um. Um, That was a, an experiment that I was all, I had, I had moved from content marketing to content design at Microsoft and I started on like office. We're selling billions of dollars of software. And I thought I can make an impact. I can help us sell even more. Like license isn't the right word. I, I had, I knew in my gut, I felt deeply in my gut that license was not on brand, not on, not the right tone. It was too bureaucratic feeling and it's longer than the term seat. But when I tested this with user testing just with like 10 or 20 customers. I asked them, what would you use? Most of them said license. And I was like, well, um, my coworker, Trudy, who is hilarious. I miss her a lot. um, She warned me. She's like, license is fine. Don't worry about it. We don't need to test that. And I was adamant that we needed to test it. But what we found was through the qualitative follow-up question, why would you prefer that? We got all this information from customers saying, well, You know, some of them did say that license reminded them of going to the Department of Motor Vehicles, which in the United States is a terrible experience, wastes like hours every time. Um, But what we found when we asked them, tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you think about this topic. We found out that many people thought you needed one license per device. So if you had a laptop and a phone or other mobile device, whatever, you have a desktop, however many devices you had, some people thought you needed a license for each. So they were essentially buying two to three times as much, as many licenses as they needed, which meant they thought that Microsoft products were really expensive. And if you have a small business. Well, because
0: that at one point in time, that was the case, right?
1: That was the case. Right. Right. So it's not so far fetched that they thought that right. Right. But to yeah. think it yeah. now. There's a
0: legacy, legacy thing
1: there. Totally. And, um. And you can see if you use user testing, the age of the participants and it, it, was skewed by age. Some people who were older did believe that you need one license per device, but this was mind-blowing to us because there's no mention of that. The user flow for signup did not include any information to that. We didn't guide people. We didn't give them this information that, oh, by the way, you only need one license per, per device or per user. Per um, No, you only need one license per user. I misspoke. It is one per user, not one per device. We found out that enough people were overbuying that was interfering with loyalty. They were not renewing at the end of the year when their subscription came up for renewal. They were like, no, no way, I'm not going to renew because it's too expensive and the competitor is Google. You know, G Suite is more affordable than a Microsoft suite. So um, this was a severe customer service issue that warranted another line of copy, rights front and center in the user experience saying, you know, more content mucking with the design saying, You need one license per user, but once we added that, fewer calls to customer service, fewer complaints at onboarding, you know, less friction in the user experience. From one, like just a couple of words, you need one license per six six words made a humongous difference. You know, you can see we could see in a funnel view. We 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 spun up a an analytics dashboard where we could see how successful people were step by step through the user experience, and there was less fall off. It was like flipping a switch, just with the bronze, silver, gold. Improvement or you know fix that we made it was like night and day once we added that little line of content yeah it muck with the des- muck with the design a little bit but for the benefit of everyone for the customer for us as employees because you know job security like we were showing our worth by showing that we're saving the company making them millions saving them millions it's just good to to be clear and we weren't clear before but we didn't know we weren't clear until we did the content research and then phew, mind blown because you don't know what people are thinking until you ask them. And they're not going to tell you if they're doing an A/B experiment. They cannot tell you what they're.
0: This doing. is it, right?
1: This so, is
0: it.
1: Content research for the win. Yeah, it's um, it's not statistically significant. You can't walk down the hallway and be like, get into stat sig. Like, you don't need to get to stat sig. You're going to get qualitative information that could be vastly more valuable to your company, whether it's a startup or a multinational yeah.
0: enterprise. Do you find that you're uh, in doing things like that? There is a a reasonable Amount of work that is compensating for complex business logic is there a is there a tipping point where you're basically just trying to reduce the amount of exposure that people have to really crappy business design?
1: Oh gosh, there's a whole chapter in the book on that well business jargon um yeah, I think depending on your industry, people like to sound smart, and a lot of people think they sound smart when they use gigantic complicated words or acronyms yeah that there's that there's that whole issue and there's a lot in the book on that but i think to get to your point about like the organizational environment you know when you're in whatever company you're in there're teams you've got pm you've got design you've got research like um you got marketing you've got brand you've got business development all of these silos are often brought into alignment or how do i say this um content research can smooth the frosting as it were Of the bumps and like the the cracks in the silos of our organizational structures. So, this is a role that I think content people who work in content naturally kind of function as like the glue that holds the company together. Really, maybe we shouldn't, maybe that's too much of a weight on our shoulders. But when you have a PM product manager who thinks like a PM and talks like a PM and has an MBA and like their jargon to them is a way of being almost. Um, And then you got marketers who talk their own language and they want to shove every feature that's in a product onto the app or website, getting them all, getting all these different roles um, to the point of simplicity often is the role of content for better or for worse. I think to bring up the Microsoft example again, selling Office, people came to our checkout flow from very complicated marketing landing page that had so many bullet points and so many icons that if I were an entrepreneur, like used to using, I don't know, Google Docs and Came to that landing page and I was like, I don't even know what this icon like they don't know what the PowerPoint icon looks like. They don't know what the Excel icon is for. Like there's there's so much complexity that we take for granted when we work in business when we're steeped in our products and features. And we don't think like our customers. Content research kind of pulls back the curtain and helps us remember we are not our cust- we are not our customer. We talk jargon, we're biased. It kind of blows our biases out of the water. Mm-hmm. And it's very valuable for that reason. Like people are like, we need, we need the colorful icons here. And I'm like, no, we need to tell people it includes spreadsheets and it includes, you know, presentation software. We don't need to tell them a PowerPoint and Excel when people don't know what PowerPoint and Excel are, but we assume they do because we work at Microsoft. Like, no, 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 no. You have to know what your customer knows. And content research can often help you understand that very distinctly, very vividly and learn how people are struggling to use your your app or your website because you're not being clear, it brings you down
0: to earth. The future. So people who are coming out of school right now, we started off as one thing and then things have emerged and we've moved into these other spaces and we've been involved in kind of their evolution and, and helping define them. Mm-hmm. Now they're defined, they're there. So there is potential for someone to start at this point I'm interested to hear what you think they can be doing to move into it
1: yeah but I think it's hard to and I've, I've seen this when I've been looking to hire interns or entry-level it's really hard to work in an entry-level role in content design because it is such a complex field and that is a challenge that I was just talking with Christina Halverson and a group of content designers about this, like, how do we help people get into the field? We want more people. We don't want to have 17 to one ratios. We want more people to work in content design, but it is not an easy field to break into. UX in particular isn't an easy field to break into, but I think there's a distinct gaping lack in educational programs for content design. There are some certificate programs, like legit certificate programs like through the school of visual concepts here in seattle their website is svc seattle.com um and ux content collective i think theirs is decent too but there's you can't get a bachelor's degree you can't get an undergraduate degree in content design but you should and this is that's like my next that's my next passion project i think is helping universities including the university of washington support people in getting into content design you can become a product manager, you can get a degree in product management, you can get a degree in product design, but you can't yet, yet get a degree in content design. And that is a challenge. That is something that needs to change. And I plan on helping with that. I think the the HCDE, the Human Computer Design and Engineering Program at the University of Washington is so, so well, um, well known globally, part of the information school, um, hugely respected they need a content design program. And I'm not saying I'm going to become a professor as my next job, but maybe because it's a good thing. I think teaching teaching as a side hustle while working in UX is draining. I've done that. I taught at the University of Washington. I taught a web analytics course while working full-time, and that is hard. But we need more content designers, more people and content to mentor and to think about that gap in education. Like The boot camps, the predatory boot camps are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. I've seen way too many portfolios from people who've been in those boot camps that aren't teaching them, aren't preparing them to work in this multifaceted, fascinating field. Maybe there's a, there's a book in that maybe. Um, I can't write another book anytime soon, but I'm half joking. It's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. There's, we need, people should be able to, um, and not necessarily get a university degree, but we need to help people move into the field. And thrive in the field and not struggle so much because the day to day is just—it's um, challenging enough. We need to help people create, like, join at the entry level, succeed in all stages, and we need more senior roles. There's a big gap. I was working on this at Microsoft, of principal, um, even um, you know, senior director roles in content design are hard to come by, and. I think we should have chief content officers. We shouldn't just have chief information officers. There's a gap at both ends of the career spectrum. And that needs to change.
0: What would you suggest for places perhaps to, to start looking to be able to get some inspiration to start doing some of this a little bit undercover? So introducing that, you know undercover UX, guerrilla UX style approach to surfacing this need in, in your company at the moment or where you're trying to get well,
1: to? Well, I think the most effective way I've found has been to deeply partner with engineering. When I sit down with an engineer, we dig into the code, we're updating content in the code and they see the complexity of what I'm doing. I know HTML, I know SQL. When engineers understand the depth and breadth of content work that content designers do they go, whoa, they just don't get enough exposure to it. And I think that is gold because engineering is often the most expensive role in the product, um, product experience field. If engineers have to do rework because the content needs to be touched again or the design needs to be touched again, like it just, everything falls apart and you're, like everything just goes into shambles. But when the light bulb goes off over an engineer's mind and you know head, when I see the light, Sparkle in their eye when we're either on a call or working in person together, they go, "Oh my gosh, your job is complicated I go, yes, you are you are correct, you are very correct. Your job is too. Our jobs are all complex. there's a misconception that because we're working with words predominantly that content design is basic or simple or easy. If engineers or p m s want to instigate content research, I welcome it. I think that's that's great and um we often like kind of throw content design or product design over the fence to engineering or to tech and Hope it gets built correctly. That's a wacky way of, of working. And I think um, not ideal at all. When content and engineer and engineering can partner up, that's where the magic happens.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you have found something interesting in the conversation that you have heard today. And if you have, please let me know by sending an email to email at com. I will be back soon with more conversations with fantastic people from all over the globe. And if you would like to share your story, your experiences of developing your career within digital design, user research, anything that involves digital services, then please do get in touch. I want this to be a space for you to be able to share what you have learned and help others. Whilst you wait for another episode to drop, you can go to theuxcoach.com, sign up to the newsletter. I promise I will not send you anything unless I think it is really useful. See you soon.